Chapter one, take two, two. Just a second, said Noonan. That's totally different. We're talking about the psychology of intelligent beings? True. And that would be just fine if we knew what intelligence was. And we don't? asked Noonan in surprise. Believe it or not, we don't. We usually proceed from a trivial definition. Intelligence is the attribute of man that separates his activity from that of the animals. It's kind of it's a kind of attempt to distinguish the master from his dog who seems to understand everything, but can't speak. However, this trivial definition does lead to wittier ones. They are based on depressing observations of the aforementioned human activity. For example, intelligence is the ability of a living creature to perform pointless or unnatural acts. Yes, that's us, agreed Newton. Unfortunately, or here is a definition hypothesis. Intelligence is a complex instinct which hasn't yet fully matured. The idea is that instinctive activity is always natural and useful. A million years will pass, the instinct will mature, and we will cease making the mistakes which are probably an integral part of intelligence. And then, if anything in the universe changes, we will happily become extinct. Again. Precisely because we've lost the art of making mistakes, that is, trying various things not prescribed by rigid code. Somehow this all sounds so demeaning. Alright, then here's another definition very lofty and noble one. Intelligence is the ability to harness the powers of the surrounding world without destroying the said world. Side night, I do, I do not think that's what we're doing as humans. <laughs> Noonan grimaced and shook his head. No, he said, that's a bit much. That's not us. Hmm. Well, how about the idea that humans, unlike animals, have an overpowering need for knowledge? I've read that somewhere. So have I, said Valentine. But the issue is that man, at least the average man, can easily overcome this need. In my opinion, the need doesn't exist at all. There's a need to understand, but that doesn't require knowledge. The God hypothesis, for example, allows you to have an unparalleled understanding of absolutely everything while knowing absolutely nothing. Give a man a highly simplified model of the world and interpret every event on the basis of that simple model. This approach requires no knowledge. A few rote formulas, plus some so-called intuition, some so-called practical acumen, and some so-called common sense. Wait said Noonan. He finished his beer and banged the empty stein down on the table. Don't get off track. Let's put it this way. A man meets an alien. How does each figure out that the other is intelligent? No idea, Valentine said merrily. All I've read on the subject reduces to a a vicious circle. If they are capable of contact, then they are intelligent. And conversely, if they are intelligent, then they are capable of contact. And in general, if an alien creature has the honor of being psychologically human, then it's intelligent. That's how it is, Richard. Read Vonnegut? Damn it, said Noonan. And here I thought you'd sorted everything out. Even a monkey can sort things, observed Valentine. No, wait, said Noonan. For some reason he felt cheated. But if you don't even know such simple things... All right, never mind, intelligent. Looks like there's no making heads or tails of it. But about the visit. What do you think about the visit? Certainly, said Valentine. Imagine a picnic. Noonan jumped. What did you say? A picnic. Imagine a forest. A country road, a meadow. Our car pulls off the road into the meadow and unloads young men. Bottles, picnic baskets, girls, transistor radios, cameras. A fire is lit, tents are pitched, music is played. And in the morning, they leave. The animals, birds, and insects that were watching the whole night in horror crawl out of their shelters. And what do they see? An oil spill, a gasoline puddle, old spark plugs and oil filters thrown about. 
Scattered rags, burnt out bulbs, someone has dropped a monkey wrench, the wheels have tracked mud from some godforsaken swamp, and, of course, there are the remains of a campfire. Apple cores, candy wrappers, tins, bottles, someone's handkerchief, someone's penknife, old ragged newspapers, coins, wilted flowers from another meadow. I get it, said Noonan. A roadside picnic. You said the thing! <laughs> exactly. A, a picnic by the side of some space road. And you ask me whether they'll come back? Let me have a smoke, said Noonan. Damn your pseudoscience! Somehow this isn't at all how I envisioned it. That's your right, observed Valentine. What? You mean they never even noticed us? Why? Or at least they paid no attention? I wouldn't get too disappointed if I were you, advised Valentine. Noonan took a drag, coughed, and threw the cigarette down. All the same, he said stubbornly. It couldn't be. Damn you, scientists! Where do you get this disdain for man? Why do you constantly need to put him down? Wait, said Valentine. Listen. You ask what makes man great, he quoted. Is it that he recreated nature? That he harnessed forces of almost cosmic proportions? That in a brief time he has conquered the planet and opened a window onto the universe? No. It is that despite all this, he has survived and intends to continue doing so. Thanks for reading that, Brianna. You're welcome, Maddie. Great. Kia ora, everyone. Welcome to an episode of Chapter One, Take Two, a podcast where we read a book, watch a film, and discuss the adaptation. But that's not what this is anymore. No. It's Chapter One Takes Random Acts of Cinema on a Date. That's right. Chapter (laughs) One Takes Random Acts of Cinema on a Date. Specifically. I see what you did there. Specifically. A a roadside picnic. We had children, they would find us horrific. Uh, yes. How many dad jokes can a lesbian couple say? Without, or what? Three <laughs> so far. Yeah, okay, yeah, we're racking them up very quickly. Um, yes, kia ora, welcome, uh, Mike and Charlie. Thank you. Well, we're kind of, it's a collaborative shared experience. It's not, That's we're right. not yeah. on your show and you're not on our show. We're That's to- why we had together. to mash up the titles. I know, I know, and I like what you did. Thank you. Yes. Um, that like book titles. was Roadside Picnic, if you haven't guessed that already from the puns, written by two brothers, and Brie will say the names, because I'm not going to be able to do it. Arcadian <laughs> Boris Strugatsky. Yes, that was very easy. Well done. Um, we... I got such a... Sorry, we'll get into that, but... No! I was going to say, I got such a kick of trying to remember all the pronunciations of the Cyrillic alphabet <laughs> while we were watching the, um, introduction titles. Oh, yes. yeah. That Brie was fun. did... German, uh, Russian in high school, and mm. oh wow, it's very, very good at languages. So you remembered some noises. You made some noises, and you're like, "That's his. <laughs> that's some that's his stalker." And I was like, "All right, I believe you." And the buddy was like, "That's a C." <laughs> it was. Um, do you want to? I don't. Just do a summary of the book. Well, yeah, I'll do a summary of the book, and we'll get into a summary of the film later. Well, we'll pass it over to the men to do that. Because they're the movie buffs. But the book is so... I love I love the book. I mean, I'm just yeah. jumping ahead. But yeah. I... The, but... Yeah. The book is... It's definitely interesting. Like, I... I didn't read any... And I do this a lot. I didn't read anything about the book. Except mm-hmm. for that it was, like, kind of post-apocalyptic dystopian as a genre. But that's yes. it. And then I was like, I'm going into this. And so... <laughs> Um, the wow. ra- like kind of like the radio interview at the beginning was like, okay, what is this exactly? Yeah. Are you going to talk at me for the entire book? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> is this so, Russian? Is this Russia? Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's I so still hard to feel tell. like the setting is yeah hard to tell. So I, I didn't feel like for me, 
I didn't feel like the setting was Russian, but that just could be my interpretation. Yeah. Well, I, think I it's assumed it was Russia. Purpose. I assumed it was Russia until I think about halfway through the book, they mentioned how there's also a zone in Russia. Yeah. And then yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Is, are we not in Russia? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where have we been this whole time? Yeah. Um, Anywhere. <laughs> so, so Roadside Picnic is about primarily yeah. a man called Red, uh, Redrick Shuhart, who is what they call a stalker. Um, And he lives in a world in which about a decade ago, aliens visited the planet in um, several locations. And the opening monologue with the, um, the, like the radio interview is a theory of why the locations are where they are, which is basically like this idea that there's a circle and they're on the, the circle. They're all, (laughs) they're on an axis or like, you know, I don't know. I haven't taken math in like 10 years. Um, and um, then we, we meet Redrick Shuhart, Hart, who is who was a stalker, but is trying to reform. And he's like mm-hmm. trying to enter the zone, which is the all of the places, these square miles of space where the aliens landed. Um, and it's heavily guarded. And you're only legally allowed to um, enter it for scientific reasons. And so he's working with a professor friend. And they decide <laughs> they're going to go into the zone to Kirill, get a full... Kirill, yeah. Kirill. Um, Kirill. They're going to get right. a full empty, which is... There's all of these... <laughs> yeah, a full empty. They keep messing me up. Um, there are all of these words that represent things that they can right. get from the zone. And one of them is a full empty. And there's also like hell slime and... Um, like death lamp there are all these fun things and then everybody gets a nickname which is also fun mm-hmm. um is this red because he's a ginger man i think he is called red um mm-hmm. and then there's the vulture and like the porcupine there's all these names um and the zone is like the reason i read that section is because it's not referenced in the film um and it and it's like a microcosm of the book or of, of the visit, at least. So it's the idea that there's all these things that humans don't understand that are in the zone that are dangerous. Right. Um, a lot of them are dangerous and can kill humans. And so he goes into the zone with his friend, and then his friend gets attacked by a spider web and dies. Right. <laughs> um, and then he's real sad about that. And then it kind of like fast forward, and he is now, he's like, I'm not even trying, I'm just a stalker. And he. Several years at a time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I think he, he's 21 and then 28 and then 31. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when he when he like comes back from the zone um, and a few hours later, his friend dies, he also finds out that his girlfriend, um, Gouda, Gouda? Gouda. Gouda is pregnant. Gouda, yeah. And there are all these rumors about how the babies of stalkers are deformed because of their proximity to the zone. Yeah. Um, and so then we fast forward and he's like, okay, I'm not even trying to be good or go in legally. I'm just going to, I'm just going to be a stalker because I need to support my family. And so he goes into the zone a bunch and he has a baby and the baby is like, seems to be normal except for that is covered in hair. And so they've nicknamed her monkey. Um, mm. It's like golden adorable. here. Yeah. She um, sounds super cute. And then uh, he, he gets arrested. Yeah, he gets arrested. He so does, before he gets arrested, he he's in trade. the he, he's in the zone with the um, vulture. Yeah, and right. the vulture gets caught in hell slime, and then his the bones of his legs get dissolved, and then he gets amputated all of his legs off. Um, and that's important because of something that happens later. Um, and then he gets <laughs> caught, and then he goes to prison, and it jumps forward again. And then we get a like chapter, which is the chapter that I read the section from, that follows Richard Noonan, who's like a friend of 
well, we like at the beginning you think he's a friend of um, Redrick, but actually he's a secret. He works for the secret police trying to catch stalkers. Um, so he's actually kind of a baddie. And he seems to be kind of trying to hit on Redrick's wife, which is kind of fine because later in the book we find out Redrick cheated on her anyway. Um, and uh, then we flash forward again and Redrick's out of prison and Monkey is like debilitating. Um, yeah. She rarely speaks, and she seems to be coming full monkey. And um, it's sad. Yeah, it is sad. So then he goes back into the zone to find this this like legendary golden sphere, which claims to be able to grant any wish. Um, mm-hmm. And apparently, Vulture knows where the golden sphere is, which Redrick finds out when he drags him from the zone after his legs are dissolved. And the Vulture wants him to go in with someone and you have to bring a second person on this trip because there's this trap right before um the golden sphere called the meat grinder that you need a spare person to trigger so that like and die so you can get through safely Mm -hmm. and in like an act of vengeance he takes um he takes the vulture's son like one of his sons Mm. um and then he like he starts to kind of like the boy, but then doesn't matter because he still expends his life uh, so he can get to the golden sphere. But then he realizes he doesn't know what, like he he knows what he wants to ask for, but he doesn't know what he wants to ask for kind of because yeah. it's presumed that he's going to ask for his his daughter to be turned back, like turned to a normal human. Mm-hmm. Um, but he ends up just repeating what the young boy says, which is like goodness and kindness for everyone. Happiness yeah. for everyone. Because he feels guilty. But then the book ends. And then the book ends. And we don't know if the you wish is know... granted or if he dies or what happens. You don't know anything. You don't know nothing. And I, I you know, I really love the premise and I, I love the, um, it's really exciting. And I, I, the thinking about the technology and the idea of humans being. Oh, it's such a fascinating premise. Humans being it so is, yeah. small. That these aliens come and they just stop for like a visit and we're just inconsequential to them. Because so we have so many books and movies about like, ooh, an alien invasion. And it's like, aliens right. don't give a shit about humans. Yes. If, uh, on Wikipedia, I love your uh, summary. It's the, the summary on Wikipedia. It's like this <laughs> short paragraph that just says, Roadside Picnic is a work of fiction based on the aftermath of an extraterrestrial event called The Visitation that simultaneously took place in half a dozen separate locations around Earth over a two-day period. That's not... That's like a book jacket. (laughs) (laughs) But... Well, and um, also, it should say that that's just an interpretate... a possible interpretation that the novel offers. Aliens is just the one that the, you know, that the kind of philosopher professor character kind of latches onto as a possibility. But, yeah. you know, he's the first to admit, I have no idea. Yeah, they don't know for sure. Yeah. That's right. And, so- and, and, and the technology is so, like, unknowable and beyond human comprehension yeah. that trying to interpret who these people are and what their motives are by the artifacts left behind is this, like, is this task that only like philosophers are capable of engaging with yeah and and even then they're at an absolute complete loss it's that whole like carl sagan thing that like the science of an advanced enough culture will seem like magic yes right to to to, to someone else but 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 it but it but it takes the perspective of the less evolved less civilized culture who's just left completely in the dark just reeling at the existential dread at the heart 
of, of all of this. Yeah. And it's, I, I love I love in the passage, like, he's like, no, nah, humans can't be that unimportant. Like, <laughs> we're, we're important, but we're humans. We're uh, right. The book. I, I, but I also, do like how... Um, the uh you know some of the stuff that they find in the zone does benefit like society yeah. like yep. they're able to like modify like automobiles how like the the starter engines and stuff and how cars work because of technology they've pulled from the zone mm-hmm. and a lot of it just will kill you yeah <laughs> and, and, and you don't never know what you're gonna get is it gonna help uh, you or kill you you don't know absolutely until you figure it out and they acknowledge that they don't even know if they're using it right or wrong the technology yeah. but they're yeah. just like they're kind of interpreting it to what they already have It'd be funny to think of this as like 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 it like a a follow up book is like the aliens and they do these these um science experiments on like lesser races <laughs> to see how sure. they'll interpret the technology mm. and yeah. just them like sitting there and like I'm picturing like big green men like the classic alien look with like the mm-hmm. big eyes like laughing and lab coats like that's not how that's supposed to be used <laughs> silly humans. or being like oh they did that with it that's interesting yeah. wrong but interesting mm. <laughs> yes yes um this was an interesting follow-up like book because we did children of men just before this and there were all those um like speculations about what sit like humanity not existing and no one being there to observe the art and i've always Mm -hmm. thought about like you know either in like millions of years like in thousands of years the way that we excavate previous societies and we try to figure out what all the things are for and you know what they think of them um it's interesting to think about what aliens or societies in the thousands of years will think about us and like what we worship what's that movie that thinks that we worship mickey mouse that was in a book (laughs) or something or eddie uh i don't know that it'll come to me oh i think um in Mortal engines. Yeah, they drive yeah. past a big concrete statue of mm. Mickey Mouse. Yeah, they think they think that we worship Mickey Mouse as a god, and I thought I laughed at that, that so was hard. Funny. That when was very I, funny. When I read that, I was like, "Yeah, I could see them misinterpreting Mickey Mouse's role in society." <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so that's the book, and it is nothing like the movie. Um, yeah. What did you? What did you yeah, guys think of the book? The, I I really enjoyed the book. I, I kind of like like you. I went in totally blind i'd never seen the movie i didn't know anything about the book until you were like hey this is you know, like what we're thinking about doing i was like great bought it just started reading it didn't read too much about it i knew it was going to be post-apocalyptic because i know that's the theme of what's going on in your podcast right now yeah but uh yeah so it was it was fascinating you know reading it and trying to figure out what because it's it's so vague with all yeah. of like, yeah. the technologies, like the half-fulls and the hell slimes. like it, it drops the words without explaining them for a while. Yes. And sometimes it'll later, it'll kind of explain a little bit. It's like doing it really, in that way. Yeah, it really leaves yeah. the reader trying to figure out what any of this means. Yeah. And I, I was just, I found it to be a very fascinating read. And the fact that it's kind of broken up into like four sections over like a long period of time. And um, yeah, and again, like you said, the, the movie... It's very different from that. What do you think? <laughs> very, very different from that. Uh, the book, the book, yeah. I thought it was like it was structurally very interesting and like, like good, like thinky, like you know, for you know what kind of reads like you know mid twentieth century like hard sci fi, mm-hmm. very like Russian and, and like philosophical mm-hmm. on, on a level that like a lot of American and English science fiction of a similar period just kind of skates along the surface of. 
Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. you know, you'll have Carl Sagan, you know, going off on some theory about the nature of alien life or something like that. But it's clearly this, like, pseudo-scientist just, like, playing with an idea, like in a Michael Crichton kind of way, yeah. for the sake of ginning up some sort of drama. But, like, the drama of this is of far less importance to the, like, to the, the, to the ramifications of contemplating not simply the mechanics of who these aliens were and what this technology is it's much more interested in like issues of like religion right Mm, yeah and uh and what what like a capitalist society will do with like untold wonders yeah and the answer is just like be crappier than they were before yes right just with different uh, technology yeah yeah exactly right but that kind of led me to like I, i think we have a slightly different interpretation of the end of the novel yeah. Right. Where I don't want to put, you know, words in your mouth, but it seemed that you're kind of like it's left with this like mystery of will the wish be granted or not? Yes. And there's like kind of a brilliant frustration in like, oh, like, yeah. what are we going to get? And that, like, that I don't is know. How, no, that's how far I felt. I didn't like I, I think maybe him repeating that like a mantra is like maybe are they implying that that did happen? I don't know. Right. But I, I definitely didn't feel like it was a resolution. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I I took it though as not so much like a like a like a climax of the plot mm. or like a or like an a, a potential answer or deliberate unanswer of like how all of this is shaking out. It seemed that based on the very like very cynical perspective of the book, yeah. is that this magical like wish granting like miracle is just this subject of like of of like unknowable possibility that leaves humans like idiotically just spewing off like absolute bullshit about how the world doesn't work everyone's gonna be happy and everything's gonna be great like ha 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 sort of laughing maniacally in this like and and the fact that they've deceived themselves into believing that such a thing is even possible where the whole novel is like Everything is terrible. Yes. Right? And nothing is going to get better. And all we're going to do is grind ourselves sort of further into the dirt. You know, like, even the, the, like, secret police guy is corrupt, like, within the secret police. Right? Everyone has ulterior motives. And And when we finally get down to, like, a pure altruistic, like, humanist, like, wish being made, it's just, like, the ravings of a madman. Mm. And, like... And like while while like weird miracles do seem to happen with the technology and with the golden sphere in this space, like it's nothing predictable or useful. And and why would happiness and goodness for all be any different? Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, that's very true. So uh, with that, then, well, the book was written in 1972, and then there was a film uh, released in 1979. Please uh, take it away, Mike. Yeah, take it away. So, uh, so do we? Are we just gonna start talking about it? Or do we actually want me to do our intro? Do the, do the intro. intro. Do the intro. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna start talking movies. So, uh, hello and welcome to Random Access Cinema, a podcast where two friends with two co-hosts this week sit down each week to journey through the wonderful world of the Criterion Collection, one ram- randomly selected film at a time. As always, I'm here with my good friend Charlie. As always, I'm here with my very good friend Mike. And we're also here with Brian and Maddie. Hey. And this week we're reviewing <laughs> Criteria number 888, 
Andrei Tarkovsky's Stalker from 1979. What a good number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It could only be better if it was 666. <laughs> only. Standard disclaimer, there will be spoilers. Which I will now provide in the form of a brief plot summary. Uh, Brianna and Maddie, I'd like to briefly apologize for this segment. For while we maddeningly continue to call this thing we do in our podcast a brief plot summary, it's grown over several years to be nothing more than a catch-all opportunity for me to drone on about whatever for a few No, I'm so excited. This is my favorite part. (laughs) Uh, And even more so, uh, all apologies for the insufferable art history grad student flavor that this is about No, this is like nerd vomit. I love it. It's great. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Uh, So, as we have done already, and I'm sure as we'll continue to do, we're going to spend much of our discussion pinballing around ideas about existential dread, the existence, nature, and purpose of God, humankind's place in a world of industrial decay, and an untenably poisoned environment, the ramifications of our civilization's ability to cope with advanced technology and alien life, Soviet literature and film on the world stage, and so on. But at least with regard to the film Stalker, and to a lesser degree the novel, these stories are about texture. And this brings me to, and again, I apologize to you both, and Mike as well, who I doubt saw this coming. But there are several still lives of shoes by the world-renowned Dutch painter Vincent van Gogh, which I have to pronounce that way because I am an art historian. (laughs) While painted in the 1880s, beginning in the 1930s, these paintings and their potential meanings became the central artifact over which universal theories of art would be constructed and debated by a who's who of 20th century philosophers. Meyer Shapiro, Jacques Derrida, Roland Barthes, and more each weighed in on this decades-long and surprisingly catty argument over a blotchy painting of a pair of worn-out leather work boots. Each in turn, however, sought to refute the original entry into the discussion written by Martin Heidegger in his seminal on the origin of the work of art from 1935. As it turns out, Heidegger's interpretation really hasn't held up to much scrutiny over the years, as his imagination took some leaps that more rigorous research has disproven. Heidegger supposed that the shoes were belonging to a peasant woman that inspired the artist to ruminate on how he had somehow encoded the struggles of her difficult life into the depiction of these rugged boots. But then Shapiro read Van Gogh's original letters, where he describes where he bought the shoes, what he planned to use them for, and what he actually ended up using them for. Long story short, he bought them at a flea market in Paris. He planned to wear them, but they didn't fit, so he ended up using them for a series of painted studies where he experimented in rendering different textures. Shapiro sees these shoes as a record of them having aged, Derrida, about a decade later, shot back with some Derridian nonsense about how the laces and eyelets are metaphors for the puncturing of the painting surface, where reality and the ideas of leather, canvas, truth, representation, imagination, and poetry all overlap. But all of these high-minded um-actuallys aside, what I want to get at here is an idea that poor old overly imaginative Heidegger originally came up with. As he looked over the scratched and wrinkled surface of the shoes, with their floppy, worn-down, scuffed leather surface and ground-down soles, 
He proposed that Van Gogh was pursuing an engagement with the thingness of things. Boots are boots are boots, but these boots, these things, are etched over with history, portent, human drama, mundane labor, as much as they are infused by the properties of their physical materials. And it is Van Gogh's insistent focusing on this thingness that makes the shoes possibly beautiful and probably important. The actual biography of the shoes might be questionable, as, as Heidegger's critics have argued, but there can be no doubt that Vincent turned his eyes upon them, saw their thingness, and proceeded to weigh them down with significance as he rendered them in paint. The dominance of sepia tones, hyper-precise studies of worn-down clothing and shoes, and the vast world of textures, cracks, smears, blotches, stains, clutter, refuse, rubble, for garden artifacts of a dead industrial environment that habitate the film's stalkers, largely static cinematography, doesn't necessarily mean that director Andre Tartofsky and his director of photography, Alexander Kinazinski, were thinking about Thingness or Van Gogh shoes at the time. But I honestly kind of think they were thinking about Thingness. But this doesn't really matter. Because I felt that far beyond the noble enough accomplishment of world-building production design, the movie Stalker invests tremendous significance in the physical reminder of pollution, neglect, labor, creation, and destruction on the topography of fissures and textures that take up nearly all of the screen's real estate. And I'm left to wonder why. It's not a murky, oil-slicked flood of standing water covering a cracked porcelain tile of a roofless power plant's anti-chamber, seeking to encapsulate the pointless flicker of an already dead lifespan of humanity itself. And then some barking dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, because there's a dog in the movie. Yeah. yeah that's right. Uh, I feel like your description of it Charlie just made me like the movie more than I liked it watching it. <laughs> right. Because okay, yeah. it, it's a really long, super slow, boring movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And if you read the book and you were like, oh, I'm going to see if there's an adaptation. Oh, there is. And you go into it and you're like expecting cool sci-fi. And then you read mm-hmm. it. Was, it was like the reverse of like knowing Frankenstein, having seen Frankenstein and adaptations of Frankenstein all through my life. And then picking up the book Frankenstein and going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> right. Because I was really curious. I was like, wow. So they made the film like pretty quickly after uh, seven yeah. years. And I was like really interested in what they were going to choose in regards to how are they going to get the technology to go and uh, like to look. Because like the first scene when you go into the zone, they're in a, like, a hovercraft. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what, right. what are they going to do for a hovercraft? And I was very like, I, I feel like sometimes I get frustrated because I'm like, sure. It has some of the essence of the book, but just just make your own movie. Like, just don't associate sure. it with the okay. book. So, yeah. in reading about the film, I feel like I feel like this this is the kind of thing where if I had read about the film and understood the purpose of the film and its place in art and literature, mm-hmm. and then watched the film, I'd been like, oh yeah, I get it. But like going into the film just based on it like being an adaptation of the book, I was like, like. <laughs> 
and, and it does this super frustrating thing, right? Where, like, especially if you've read the book, where, like, they'll say things like, you know, meat grinder and, mm. like, possible alien life or something like that. And you'll see, like, you'll see, like, little props on the ground, like, little empty glass vials. Yeah. And you're like, here we go. Yeah. And they go into a tunnel and they're, like, there's this insistence that something amazing and terrifying can happen right around the corner. Don't go in there, don't go in there, and then they don't go in there, and whew, nothing happens. Yeah. And you're like, uh, you're like, okay, so they're avoiding the potential of special effect by making the drama about getting close to it and then pulling back at the last minute, yeah. right? But then eventually someone will walk into a place where they're not supposed to walk in, and they're like, well, he's dead. And you're like, all right, like, plot. Right? Something happened. Maybe we're going to see like swirling lights or something like that. And then the guy just shows up and they're like, wow, you were really lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and all he did, he was like, I went back to get my knapsack. And yeah. I'm like, great. And then at the end, when they have, you know, there's a lot of uh, conflict and they're kind of like, oh, like, are we going to blow it up? Am I like, and they're beating each other up. And then all of a sudden, bam, they're back at the bar. And, right. I, was, and I was like, they're not mm-hmm. even at the side anymore. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, th- 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 this film has, like, Chekhov's rucksack, which turns out to be a nuclear bomb. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that, that isn't really that relevant. No. Yeah. Don't worry about he it. He just takes it apart, and he's just throwing yeah. the bits around. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure even if it's deconstructed, you shouldn't just throw bits around that were part of a bomb. Mm-hmm. Or even the fact that his daughter is still named Monkey. Yes, well, she's yes. not furry, she just doesn't have legs. And you're like, well, then why did they call her Monkey? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's a cute nickname. It is a cute nickname. It is a cute but... nickname. Do you know what this film has on Rotten Tomatoes? It's real I high. Did look it up. Like a hundred. It has a hundred percent from forty-one reviews, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What?" And eighty-one. That's, that's because if if like nobody who would review this film poorly, like poorly, is actively searching this film out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, <laughs> this movie is real pretentious. And by saying you don't like it in certain circles runs the risk of you admitting you're not intelligent enough to get it. Well, then I'm I'm an idiot. (laughs) Okay, so Maddie and I talk about, like, and and I I feel like I talked about this. I talk about this a lot with poetry because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of poetry that is incredibly inaccessible. Sure. And, um... Or, 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 like, in order for you to access it, you have to have, like, several discussions about it, look up lots of words, and look up the historical context. And it's like, by that point, is it still valuable? Is art valuable if it's only accessible to such a small portion of the population that you're almost basically sure. just preaching to the choir? You know, like, mm. you know, and I wanted to ask you your opinion, especially you. Like, what do you think? Do you think that there is value in this film, like, existing, I guess, if if nobody's willing to criticize it because it's like it's just so niche, yeah, you know, it's a it's a fair question. Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it is that, and we're going to solve like it the, on this podcast right now, well, right yeah, now, ab- absolutely, <laughs> right. I mean, I, I think part of the reason is that the the director clearly has like chops and clearly has a vision, like yeah. visually, technically, he's an absolute master, right? Um, but like, I mean, 
But it's this sort of like age old problem when an auteur gets a hold of interesting like science fiction or horror material and it causes tremendous controversy, right? Like David Lynch with Dune, Stanley mm. Kubrick with The Shining, right? These like unquestionably massively talented artists who attempt to like adapt something that like seems actually pretty cool and not just some weird thing that they imagine themselves. Mm. And they end up making something that's like impenetrable and confusing, right? And but that being said, like Tartovsky was like, you know, he was a, a master of Soviet cinema, and so little of it was acceptable to the East back then. Yeah, and then I read simply that he to have got, um, exiled after this film. Yeah, yeah, of course. So then, from that perspective, it's like this is an important piece of work objectively because mm-hmm. he's fighting against the oppression of free speech. So Yeah, like so sort of of the political context in which it was made. Yeah. Like yeah. you you have to like give it credit where credit is due, right? Mm. I'm always down for an artist exiled for their work. Sure. And I'm I'm not saying that justifies the impossibly high rating. I'm just saying that that, that seems part of the reputation that Tartovsky in this film in particular has. Right, because he does make these really long, slow, drawn-out experience movies. Yeah, like I haven't seen all of his movies, but like Solaris, that's his other like big sci-fi kind of kind of dreamy, you know, impenetrable, questioning the nature of existence and humanity and technology kind of film. Right, and it's it's real hard and it's real boring. So unless (laughs) you're willing to like kind of do the work, right. Which probably means just having ideas rattle around in your head that may or, mo- may, or may not have been prompted by the film itself, right? It's, it's a real difficult watch. Yeah. Um, I, I remember I, I saw Stalker years ago before even knowing that it was based on a book. So I saw it cold. Um, it was on Halloween. Um, some, uh, some friends of a friend had some people over to watch some scary movies. And I was like, I was like that sounds great. And then we sat down. He's like, this is like a classic of Russian science fiction. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And then three hours later, I was just like, what is this? And then he was like, oh, it's based on a book where it's about alien technology that like humans can't comprehend. And I'm like, oh, cool. I wish I had known that. Also, doesn't help. <laughs> I, that's the thing I was thinking, you know, having like, you know, watching the movie like right after I finished the book, I was like, I don't know if reading the book helped or hurt my appreciation of the film like i feel like Definitely if i watched the movie first yeah like i i mean I, I i i i enjoyed the movie but i'm saying i think if um if i'd watched the movie by itself i think i would have maybe enjoyed it a little more because i i was expecting to see some like hover cars and hell slime <laughs> and right. half fulls and you know like weird like fire you know firestorms that come out of nowhere that like burn people like, yeah. it, like there's all these cool like deadly traps that are in the book yeah. And you're you just keep waiting to see some of this you know these exciting moments and like yeah they never come. Yeah. You can also imagine like a blade runnery vision of the future yeah. Yeah. of like corrupt forces battling against each other and like everyone's just hanging out at like shitty bars and brothels and, and like, everyone hates everything. Kind of yeah. protagonist actor type I was expecting to get was like Blade Runner or James Bond, sure. like somebody's mm-hmm. a little bit like like cynical and grumpy and drinks a lot. But mm-hmm. it's also handsome and good with the ladies. Mm-hmm. 
and then and then you get baldy like (laughs) right with a weird discolor he's not bald but like a weird discoloration patch on like you get two nearly bald guys that look very similar yes and throughout most of this movie i would like i'd be like wait which is the guy that's the stalker again and i would totally forget which is which they so rarely are speaking on screen while you like so that you can see their mouths are moving and you know who's talking Like, all the time, there's just, like, images of the third character, and then two of them are talking off-screen, sc- off and you're like, why is oh. this happening? <laughs> so, uh, so a thing we do in our podcast is we offer a one-thought review of the film, where we just try to condense it into mm-hmm. one kind of phrase or saying. <laughs> and this it. is, where our discussion is right now is very closely related to what mine is, so I'm just going to jump right in sure. <laughs> with, um, the first time a craggy-faced, bald, white guy just lays down on the ground and whines about something, it seems pretty overwrought. But by the sixth time a craggy-faced, bald white guy does this, it kind of works. Oh, um. my, my, I basically just said mine, so I'll go ahead and do my next. Cause I said uh, nearly three hours, only one trip into the zone, zero traps. <laughs> <laughs> that was my one-time review. This is what I wrote. Um... <laughs> Um, this is the kind of film that makes people think artsy foreign language films are boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure it's exactly is. what it is. Um, a film that made me feel anger and uh, sadness. And I, I haven't not been able to lose myself in a movie in a long time. But this... this Kept me present in, in real life. Um, <laughs> that's what I would As say. As it does. Okay, One so- thing I, I really liked about this movie was its Wizard of Oz approach to the zone. Mm. How the film opens in this like drab sepia tone. Just like, you know, the, the real world is just drab and ugly and, and just bland. The yeah. a lot of the, the, it's, the way it's shot is like very still, not a lot of camera movement. You know, just still shots, cutting from still shot to still shot. Real grainy. Yeah. Yeah. And then then the first dynamic shot that happens is when they first jump in the Jeep to go to the zone. And it's still in sepia tone, but they jump in the Jeep. And you get this amazing, like, dolly tracking shot, like, following the Jeep as it, like, turns and drives and goes around. And it's just, like, really dynamic. This movie has an action sequence. Yeah. and, and, like, the camera moves, and it's, like, moving over rough terrain, but it's this really smooth, mm-hmm. like, tracking shot. And it's, like, you could, you could tell it's, like, going up and over hills and stuff. And I was, like, holy yeah. crap. Like, that's, that's a here, awesome here we shot. go. And we're going. And then they go into the zone, and boom, like, we're in color. Like, they've just gone into Oz, and it's, like, you know, it's very colorful now. Yeah. And you see, like, the color of, like, their clothes and their faces. It's sharp. The world around yeah. them, it's sharp. And, like, oh, wow. Like, this is... You know, crazy, and then, you know, and then you get like ten minutes of close-ups of their faces as they ride the train into the zone, uh, <laughs> and, and then people back. slowing down, slowly laying down in a small puddle of stagnant water. Yes, <laughs> we we because like yeah, I got I got that it was supposed to be like artistic and beautiful, and like I knew that that was the director's intent, but so was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and I was never bored <laughs> yeah. in that film. Yeah. But you sure. also called it, like, Brie was like, I knew they were going to make the zone in colour. And I was like, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But when they, 
lay down the first time, and we Brie was Brie out loud was like, "Are they taking a nap? Like, is it swamp? <laughs> is that what is happening?" Uh, I love the precision with which they lay down. Yeah, like they're trying not to touch anything except for, like this small space. And in he lays mm-hmm. on top of his hands, and then there's a shot to him laying on a small piece of land in a river. But and then he's imagining meeting a dog, and then he meets a dog for real. Like yeah. I feel like he, yeah, that that that's what happened, right? He he wasn't. I think so. Yeah, and then the dog is real. At the end. Like, maybe I'm not smart enough to watch these movies. I don't know. For me, I'm just like... I I definitely... It would be an interesting film to watch with, like, the director's commentary on. Yeah. I also imagine that... I also imagine that this movie really would, you know, like any movie, I guess, but this movie very much so, that if you want the ideal viewing circumstance, it's got to just be in a big theater where you can't distract yourself with anything. With yeah. a glass of wine. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like that, a, that, that a really pretentious well glass of wine to go with their really pretentious film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, you know what, you do you know what the budget of this film was? In, in Ruples? I mean, yeah. I have no idea. Uh, I have no, no idea. It was in ruples. It was six million. That's that's six zeros at the end, right? Six million. Yep. But in uh, USD, it was eighty four thousand dollars. And wow. worldwide, it made uh, two hundred fifty eight thousand dollars. So it definitely made a profit. Mm. They got they got every penny on the screen. They did. Yeah. They got it all there. But <laughs> and uh-huh. I, you know, and I really did. What I want to say things I did like about the movie because I've been very harsh. I I really loved. What you said it before, Charlie, talking about the pollution and like the commentary on that because they do come into the zone and it's beautiful and natural. And he lays down the grass and he's breathing it in, and he later on describes how the zone is all that he has. Like he hasn't contributed anything else to the world, and so is yeah. a stalker. Like the zone is his home. Um, and the writer asks him why he doesn't bring his wife and daughter there, and he doesn't actually answer. He doesn't present an answer to them. And I, I really loved those conversations, and I and I did love like, you know, kind of as they got like there's a, there's that room, and it has the, that classic. It's got the, it's the poster shot where there's those small sand dunes, which is beautiful. Oh, like, that's beautiful. A, yeah. That's oh, a, stri- yeah. that's a striking amazing. image. Yeah. It, al- I, it almost justifies the movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, I was like, that's pretty stunning. And, you know, mm-hmm. someone had to make that. And, I, I you know, I, I really appreciated that. I definitely, like, at one point, though, I think, I'm not sure what happened, but I looked away or time passed and I was like, they've been walking in this tunnel for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that is all that has happened. And I, I you know, but definitely there were, there, you know, there were some elements that if you're willing to uh, enjoy the film for what it is, Mm-hmm. then it, it can, you know, any film can have... Oh, is that true? I don't know. I'm saying general statements I mean, now. people enjoy The Room and watch it religiously. Yeah. So. <laughs> but that's hilarious. That movie. I've seen The Room mm-hmm. way more times than I've seen Stalker. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. We're kind of talking more about the film in and of itself. So why don't we rate the film in and of itself? As opposed to as an adaptation of the book. We should still do an adaptation rating. Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, well, well, of course, what we do in our podcast, we just rate it out of 10, right? Right. Well, we do the same What does this matter and what does this mean? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing! <laughs> but we do it anyway. That's right. It's, all, it's always good when we disagree. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's fun to disagree with people. Okay. Well, you like. well Brie, it was your idea. What, what do you rate the film in and of itself out of 10? 
Five and a half. <laughs> oh my Ooh. god! Really? Yeah. There goes that Rotten Tomatoes score. <laughs> I mean, I was like before this conversation with you all, I would have been like a zero, but now it's more like a two. Like I, I definitely am. Oh, I, so you, your wow was like so high. Yeah, that's what my wow was. But for me, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have this ability to disassociate the film from the book. Like I, sure. I loved like, but that is exactly what this segment is for, Madeline. Yep. But I, I don't have that ability. And, but but also, I wouldn't watch this film again, and I don't have the desire to. And that's fine. That's you know, I have my things that I like, and this isn't one of them. And let's move on from me. I'm not rating this a ten, but I'll happily rate a movie a ten and say I never want to see that again. Oh yeah. Oh. So. If 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 you watch Criterion Collection movies, you have to. You have to put yourself in that space because <laughs> it's some challenging criteria. stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, Charlie, what's what's your rating for yeah, the, 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 as a movie? Yeah, this movie's a ten without yeah. a doubt. Oh my god! It's, it's it, I mean, it is it's it is boring and it is a, it is a trial, right? I mean that that is that is absolutely undeniable. If I were to rate this in terms of the degree to which I was entertained. Like it's it's pretty low, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it, 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 any any given shot is a. Uh, painting you could stick on a wall mm-hmm. right but you stretch it all together the sense of pacing that it has which is clearly exceptionally deliberate um does not work with my attention span at least not nowadays <laughs> right yeah. but you stretch of the imagination but it, it it's gorgeous and it's complicating and it's dealing with really complicated ideas in a way that um I think it's probably a little bit impenetrable for the sake of being impenetrable, so it sounds maybe a little smarter than it really is. Mm. But I do think it also has some guts to it. Because, like, I mean, while this is a very, like, um, like, like in, in a way, a very, like, a Russian, a very, like, masculine film with its, like, you know, middle-aged, bald white guys, like, you know, ruminating about the nature of their self-importance constantly, which it is. Right, and you can very ima- very well imagine that that's like the director using the source material as a proxy to like examine his own self worth in the world. Mm. Like the transformation of Red into the stalker from the book into the movie, like is it? it I mean, it's it's not the book in the slightest. Yeah. But but he comes off as a like um like a political prisoner who's come back from the gulags with his like emaciated form and his shaved hair Mm. who has grown like dissatisfied with the world but he still plugs away right just trying to bring like hope and validation to everyone else in the world because Mm. that's that's all he knows and and to have that be presented as a kind of fallacy because i mean he's a he's a political revolutionary in uh in soviet russia in the 20th century which means, like, your life's all but over, and yet you can still be a subject of fascination and admiration to millions of people across uh, the um, the Iron Curtain, right? But at the same time, he's also like a, he's also a priest, right? Who's shepherding a congregation that doesn't believe through yeah. a world where God doesn't exist, yeah, right? Yeah. And and it becomes this like and, and like. And it's for that reason why you can tell that Tartofsky was going to get his ass kicked out of the USSR, yeah. right? Because he's, he's you know, he's, it's a film about a, um, you know, a political revolutionary, 
without really being about a political revolutionary. I mean, that's why but, sci-fi's so but, great because you can do that stuff. Yeah, but but I think but I think the metaphor is there, and I think he almost got away with it, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, he just quotes the Bible explicitly a few times. <laughs> that, that that doesn't help. <laughs> that might have been like a red flag for some people. Um, but what is my? But but I'll also say. But I'll also say like on top of all of this, I can sit here and justify it for its political or mm. social or philosophical depth or realness or something like that. But the just the photography of the film, mm. right? Where like everything is not just wet; it's wet and moldy. Yeah. Right. Like when they're like every wall, it's it, it looks like they just found a cool wall with a lot of texture on it. But you can almost see the production designer like scratching out random patterns, right, of of stucco that's been built up and then flaked off over the years. Right. Every time they show water, right, which appears quite frequently, people like half in water or water nearby, there's always a perfect swirl of like scum yeah and like just like detritus flowing through it yeah and their and their faces are photographed and lit so they're just it's just crags and lines and stubble and wrink every wrinkle around every eye is just magnified tremendously and it's again i'm not saying that that makes for a thrilling narrative or for a movie <laughs> no, that no. makes a lot of sense no, no, no. Yeah. but it's um you know for for a person like me who you know spends hours of time in a museum looking at a single painting, right? Like, I, I, I have a certain aesthetic and taste that's come out of that, yeah. where I, I've i trained myself, for better or for worse, to be able <laughs> to stand in front of something that might very well be considered kind of ugly, but at least probably in some sort of masturbatory, self-satisfying way, justify my own experience by saying it's good. <laughs> and this movie scratches that itch. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, I'm a, I'm, my score is not, I'm not at a 10, but I'm pretty close up there with Charlie and I, I, I gave it a nine and it's the, the, a lot of the same things. Like I just, I think it's a gorgeous film. I think visually, I think it's a stunning movie. Like all the shots just all throughout, like the, 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 <laughs> the, the tunnel, the sand dune cave and like, yeah, nothing really happens. <laughs> but man, like it was, it was just pretty to watch. But man, is it pretty? Yeah, I, like I, I can really respect that it's beautiful, and I get that. Um, well, I think for for me, it's it's hard because I, I, I think that I, I favor the idea that art needs to be accessible. Um, sure, and I, and I, and I think that uh, because. Every time art is made inaccessible, it helps fuel the narrative that art is kind of inherently inaccessible. Like, you know, like yeah. I, 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 I'm, you know, I've been studying to teach English this year and I remember the first class we talked about poetry in um, our pedagogy content knowledge class. And, you know, so many of the students in there who were like, I want to teach English were like, I don't like poetry. And I was like, that's <laughs> because you've been taught your whole life that poetry is inaccessible sure. by being shown a bunch of inaccessible poets. But there are so mm -hmm. many poets out there who are masters of the English language who can still make it accessible so that you understand the story they're telling. Mm. And while I can respect that this film takes up an important place in history and an important place in art... I think that there are other films that do the same thing but are more accessible. Yeah, and so sure. I can't give it a 10 overall, 
but I can give it like I can I can well I mean I raise it up from a zero. <laughs> and I Very went generous up, I went you. above five because I recognize its importance. Um, and because I respect <laughs> anyone who's gonna be like, Yeah, fuck you, I'm gonna make a film about religion if I want to and I'm gonna do it yeah. subversively, so it's harder for you to tell. Mm. Um, but like yeah, I, I think that, like, I can say it's a 10 on beauty, but I couldn't say it's a 10 <laughs> overall. Sure. For, what right. I, for the place that I think film should take. Yeah. Sure. For me... No, I... I, I yeah, sorry. Please. Like, I feel no, like no. almost right genuinely, like, if I saw this in an art gallery and it was playing on loop, that would make more sense to me. We, yeah. We've seen a few movies like that in this collection where it's like... Wow, like sitting in home and watching this is a terrible experience. <laughs> if I was at a museum and there was like a dark room where I could go in and sit for a few minutes and watch like 15 minutes of it, I'd probably think it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially, a, we've like, seen a few of those. Because I'm squeezing it in between assessments from like my final leg of university right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm like so tired. And I'm like, sure. oh yeah, yeah, I'm gonna sit down and watch this cool epic sci fi. What? Oof. No, you're not. <laughs> no, no, you are not. I, um,. I, I'm a very like emotional person. Like I live my life very much in a way that is about connection. And not that this film doesn't have that, because I think the dynamic between the three characters, uh, the three main characters in the zone, is really interesting. And they discuss some, like, yeah, like, and and I love those types of philosophical discussions. If I'm in the right frame of mind and I'm in that place and I'm wanting to kind of like not really have any answers, but go down those rabbit holes, um, mm-hmm. but for me, um, I don't really connect uh, with works like this outside of those frames of mind because they just seem to um, detach from anything that connect with me personally. I mean, I don't know if it's my like marketing brain or commerce background, but everything for me should be accessible in a way that is an elevator pitch. And if you can't explain something to someone in like two, a minute or two, which is completely not what this film is. It's about three hours and it's, and and it's about more than that. It's about life and the meanings and all these things. And so for me, I'm just like, but but why though? But why? Cause you know, (laughs) I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like I'd like to watch this with you, Charlie. Like this is, this is what I'm imagining. Like I've got a glass of red wine, but mm-hmm. we're also doing yoga and we're watching this film <laughs> and you're like whispering the significance of every image in my ear. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, like, I, I think there's absolutely something to what you're saying, right? Where movies like this are impenetrable and like maybe, you know, maybe art should be, you know, more universal. I mean, I think the, the Not official universal. Soviet... Accessible. Well, well sure, but, but, but I think... But I think, like, the Soviet position would very much be that art is meant to contribute positively to the collective good, right? I mean, that's that's sort of the, the, the nature of 20th century Soviet art that's being suggested. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, like, I don't know. I mean, I think that complicates the idea to a certain bit in the sense that this movie is being deliberately obstinate under an incredibly repressive regime. Uh, that, that by no means justifies it. I, I do think, like, the real problem to this movie is that it's not just obtuse, it's... Um, it's exclusionary, right? It 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 does it 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 it's not welcoming viewers with open arms, e- even if it has complex, difficult ideas. Yeah, I feel like it's, you learn more by reading about the film than by watching yeah, the film. Exactly, yeah. right? It, it it's sort of imagining this perfect viewer that walks out of like Leningrad University <laughs> in nineteen seventy nine, right, and like you know goes to a cafe where like. 
some interesting ideas are being whispered in dark corners and then you know and then you know finds out that someone made a version of his favorite science fiction movie that was banned for several years uh, until until it was finally made available to the public, and uh, and now he can like winkingly acknowledge the the true subversive nature of what's going on, and that's that's not anyone I know. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't that's talk someone. to people like that. What are you talking about? <laughs> that's someone on the planet, but it's not yeah. my phrase. Yeah, yeah, it is not well, me. <laughs> I would I would love because um, Maddie mentioned correctly that I do I did take Russian in high school um, for three years and I was actually really good at it like not to toot my own horn you're but great at language uh-huh. I won several Russian speaking competitions and Ooh, I, wow. my Russian teacher from high school still shops at our local grocery store where my mom works and loves chatting about me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and I would love to sit down and have a conversation with him about this film and see if he's seen it and like get his perspective on it because he sure. was Jewish growing up in Russia and he's told mm-hmm. he told us a, what what a great history teacher to have let me tell you so good. yeah I bet um, history mm. in Russian he taught and um, he was a great teacher to have he was great mm. so how much of the film were you able to understand then without subtitles or is your comprehension oh, not like as good as it nothing used to be? Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, like I was very, very good at what he would call survival Russian in high school. Mm. Um, and I wanted to continue taking Russian, um, in university and become fluent, but Mm. like the subsection of D3 schools that had a theater program and a softball team and took Russian or like, and Russian and would offer me a scholarship for most of the tuition (laughs) in the U S that I could conceivably get to that were also near a family that I could get to if I needed something pretty small. There's only like five or six of those. (laughs) So my university didn't offer Russian. um, So (laughs) I stopped taking it and I've lost a lot of it. And all that I've said though, I do just want to say that I really appreciate being like, because the education I've gotten post the film has been very meaningful. Oh, yeah. And I'm very grateful for this discussion because I I appreciate the film being put in context for me um, in its political significance and importance. And it, But that's the thing, isn't it? Because some people yeah. would either not watch the film because they hadn't heard of it or start to watch it and be like, what is this? Um, mm-hmm. And if, if they didn't have these conversations, it wouldn't get placed uh in that context and and they wouldn't be able to connect it all yeah so so that's i mean and that's what we're talking about about accessibility and everything but i for me well i I guess i am that i represent that demographic but i really appreciate like it's it's made the film more powerful i firmly believe that all art should be a social adventure like the more that you talk about art in any of its forms, like the better and more enriched your life will be. Um, mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's why I hate exams in English because it's like when when like there's a there's an exam in the in New Zealand that's like notorious. It's called the unfamiliar text exam, where students have to have they've they've an hour to read three short unfamiliar texts and analyze them. Um, mm-hmm. So they get twenty minutes per text, and I'm like, first of all. This is not an inclusive practice. A lot of people really struggle with reading and comprehending a text in 20 freaking right. minutes. Not to mention having to write something about it. And the second of all, when in their lives will they ever need to read a text and understand it without ever being able to ask another person a question about it? Yeah. Sure. Or like Google Absolutely. it. Like Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. What a useless skill. 
I hate it so much. Um, <laughs> poems, and like, they can't listen to the poems out loud, and poems are meant to be heard. Like, oh, sure. just, oh, I'm gonna. <laughs> Was there a. Did you have a, a thing to say? You just wanted to share? Oh, you were saying about, like, you appreciate the. Discussion. Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes so, yes. like, I, I think that art is much you you will always grow an appreciation yeah e- either of the art or the significance of the art from discussing it with, yeah with well, oh yeah in saying all this can can we do our section now where it's uh revamp remake retire no based? we have to we haven't even rated it as a f- adaptation of the film of the uh, book yeah we don't have to end i just i, know. I just wanted to okay all right all right we yeah. can, okay let's do it Re- revamp remake do you, retire do you guys so, know the categories yeah revamp yeah Revamp. Uh, wait, remind remind me what it, revamp is. Yeah. So revamp is like, it, the film was great already, great adaptation. We just want to see it up to date with new actors and new CGI. Right. And then remake gotcha. is right, like right, right. back to the drawing board. And then retire was like it never should have been adapted, or it's already been adapted so well, just let it go. Yeah. Oh yeah, remake. No, we we do we do it on the count of three. Oh, sorry. <laughs> then I'm gonna change mine. I'm gonna change mine then. <laughs> One, two, three. Three. Remake. Remake. Yeah. We all feel remake. Yeah. Well, well, that's not surprising at all. I just would really love to see uh, all the technology. And yeah, I know we have other sci-fi films that really cover like a lot of technology. And like we did Mm -hmm. see the 2049. But I don't feel like there's any other film that's asking this question. And I feel like it's so important now. And I want to see. I think humanity needs to have its pegs knocked down a couple of notches. Like we're not that important and we're fucking up the world. But Mm -hmm. I also just want to see someone take a piece of alien technology and just try to not like understand it, not be able to make anything out of it, but just apply it to something we already have and be like, it's not perfect, but it works. Because <laughs> yeah. I just find that really interesting. Yeah, like 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 this like little disc turns everything blue. Yeah. You know, that you know, that's, that's kind of cool. That's what it does. <laughs> it's revolutionized the fabric dyeing industry. Mm. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, I, I agree, but in a certain sense, like, because I would, I, I mean, I, I think a, a more, like, direct adaptation of the book would be fantastic, without a doubt. But what I fear it being is, like, uh, like just, a, like, a CGI fest mm. that just, I like, computerizes you. all of this, like, unknowable technology in what's probably going to be, like, a pretty pat way. Like, I, I almost want to see, like, the... Like kind of the theater stagey quality of this film, yeah. Yeah. right? Like, like just you know, do the technology where it's literally like two people holding two objects that they can't get close to. There's almost sort of miming the impossibility of it, mm-hmm. you know, like something kind of pure, yeah, right? Like, like that. I like, you know, or or literally using like um like stage magic to do impossible things, yeah. Like yes. where it's and all I want like Nathan in camera Fillion to be um <laughs> red, right, sure. Sure. I, I absolutely. definitely would want it to be gritty. Like I don't. If they did a, a remake now, I, I do. I worry the same thing because every a lot of things these days are very shiny, and even when they're sure. meant to be dirty or fighty scene, it's still very. Oh yeah. It looks very polished and clean, but I would want this book to be like rough and like hard and harsh. Yes. And, and like, it's and it still has to be kind of confusing, right? Like yeah. you don't. You're seeing it, but you don't know what you're seeing, and yeah. like that's a that's a hard trick to pull off in film. I, I have no idea where to begin. It's got to have like a Mad Max sort of tone vibe to it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. things aren't explained. Like yeah, they're just showing. Like I love that. Yeah, I, yeah. I I kind of 
enjoy that feeling because like we okay we talk about sorry to bring up teaching but we talk about like metacognition and like the mm-hmm. ability to like be reading something and go i don't understand this have i missed something and go back because a lot of right. students don't do that they just keep reading because they assume they're not they, they're not going to understand and this is definitely one of those books where as an adult i'm reading and i'm like what what's healthline did i miss something <laughs> did they cover that did i zone out for a second Nope. Well, classic sci-fi, where's that glossary in the back that yes. defines all of these terms, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, very good. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, not not, slime, man. not 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 I to like step... the whole creepy spider web on the back of yeah. King Rules. I was waiting for that to happen. They yeah. show a spider web on the tree and yeah, everything. Right. And Someone's going to walk through it and, I don't know, something, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the, so... The I, I don't I don't want to step back too much to a discussion of the book and film again. We always seem okay. to be kind of wrapping it up. But like, I thought like the one of the like major mechanics of the book outside of the philosophical discussions is like Red being like frustrated and angry at the world, mm. and that being manifested of him being in the zone or in the town or in his house, and him being the smartest person in the room. Um, not being a member of the intelligentsia, right? But being like a very practical man who understands, you know, he, he metacognates, he understands what he doesn't understand, right? Yeah. And, and like when he goes through the zone, it's he like browbeats everyone into following his seemingly incomprehensible and arbitrary orders of how fast they should move, where they should move, in what order should they move, um, to the letter. Yeah. Right. And and it's literally him just being like, why don't these like idiots understand yeah. that if you take two steps instead of one, you're dead. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's this kind of like like it's this almost kind of power fantasy of like, you know, the world is confusing and I don't understand it, but everyone just needs to do what I say. Right. Yeah. And uh, and, and and that means that for extended periods of the book, they're like laying on the ground. Right, mm-hmm. and why are you laying on the ground? Because Red told you to. Because there's hell slime over there, and he noticed that the color of the air in that direction feels greener than the color of the air in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, yeah. or or like he spontaneously hallucinates the world turning inside of itself, or something like that. Yeah. And he's smart enough to know that this is significant, even though he doesn't know what it means. Right, yeah. and the movie. Like takes the idea of like just the 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 device of okay this is this is a story where people will lay down on the ground occasionally and be very very still and think deep thoughts so I'm just going to turn that into a monologue but it doesn't matter why they're doing it what matters is that they're having those deep thoughts on the ground mm, yeah. yeah and that that's like uh, that's very frustrating right <laughs> and uh, and like but you know you kind of all, almost want something like that in the remake. Right. Where, you know, like I want it to be about like, you know, Nathan Fillion, like yelling at people like I'm going to throw some bolts on the ground over there and you don't do anything until I tell you to do it. And I imagine that'd be a really frustrating movie experience of this like authoritative like jerk. Because Red's an asshole through most of the book. And it's only kind of towards the end where you realize that like he's a very flawed person, but he's still kind of onto something. Yeah. Right. Um, and like I can imagine that being like just a just a like a despicable film, but like but like maybe in a pretty cool way. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's what I'd want. I <laughs> I I would love to see like an extended uncut scene, like all in one take, 
of them having a conversation <laughs> on the ground, but like in a long scene, like good sure. 12 minutes, you know, when you're just like, yeah, yeah, we still haven't moved from here. Yeah, I, I was going to say earlier with uh, one of the reasons why I think Mike and, a, Mike and I rated this a lot higher than you two did is because um, we know that this movie could have been six hours long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like we have a completely different lens yeah uh, because because the 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 criteria that we're all marking is, is very different, different. yeah mm-hmm. but, sure. but but i appreciate that because i think it leads to very like it leads to fantastic discussions well like it, it, you know it, it's basically the subjectivity of truth yeah 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 you know Ooh, wait what want to hear my interpretation of the movie my actual interpretation oh yeah sure yeah, yeah go on all right okay all right so the, the no one has names so it's the stalker the writer and the professor yeah. right Uh, The professor, right, he represents man's pursuit of faith, right? Specifically his faith that you can trust mankind with a noble power, Mm -hmm. right? The writer, his pursuit, his obsession is truth, right? He's uh, pursuing sort of truth in his writing, and he finds that he is only successful when he lies to his audience, when he gives them what they want, right? Right? And it's not so much he wants inspiration. He wants the courage to know that writing the truth will make the world a better place. And the stalker represents hope, hmm. right? Um, that, that, like, a man who has none, all he wants to do is give that to the world, right? So it's sort of hope, truth, and faith within an, an unknowably repressive, like, totalitarian uh, circumstance where... I mean, and, and this is, I think, where my interpretation, like, lands, because they literally say it in the movie, right? <laughs> is that um, it, it's ultimately all about desire, and we don't know what we really want, and that's horrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I lo- it like, really is. Throughout the film, I genuinely felt like I, 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 was so, I was struggling so hard to pay attention to it, but I kept thinking, like... I really just want to read the transcript. Like, I just yeah. want to read the script. I like, <laughs> and then like, I feel like I enjoy watching the film on silent without the sure. subtitles, just to look at it and then read the transcript. And those two things can be disconnected from each other because I, <laughs> I think that there were so many times where I was like, oh, I really love like, um, like my like cinematic moment is the the shot of the well and the pool of water that's just like rippling, and then the conversation oh, yeah. that goes over top of it. It's just. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I was, you know, and I, and I wrote down quotes. Like if I was going to write down, like when I was going through, I was like trying to think of things that I liked about the film and I wrote down mostly quotes. Um, because like it's the, the, the script is beautiful. And it's one of those things where I have no idea how good the translation is for the subtitles. And I Mm -hmm. wish that I could know confidently that they were like pretty darn good. Um, I think that they probably were based on like, my knowledge of the Bible and the the translation of the biblical passages, sure. but then they also could have just looked up the biblical passages and you know like not really translated them. But it's I, I think they might have like the yeah. well scene. That's all quotations from the I Ching. Yeah. Right, and I imagine they probably just went to an actual you know reliable translation into English for that rather than directly translating the Russian. Yeah, but like I, I assume one of the I things no that I learned from my Russian teacher actually is that translators are second authors because there's so much yeah. interpretation between yeah. like vocabulary um mm-hmm. and like side note there's um 
there's this translation of um, the Iliad and the Odyssey that I really want to read because it's the first one that was done by a female. Um, right. And um, that's just like completely unrelated, but there's lots of variances in the interpretation of the Iliad and the Odyssey based on the mm-hmm. fact that it's translated through a female lens. And I'm like, sure. how many things would I read differently if I... You, tra- you, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of university and Russian literature, I took a Russian literature class for my uh, when I when I got my undergraduate degree, and I remember we were assigned the Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov, hmm. and I got like my little Penguin Classics edition of it, and I started to read it and I hated it and it sucked, and I was like, this is the worst book I've ever read. And then like uh, someone said, oh, you're reading the wrong translation. Read this new one, and it's like one of the best books I've ever read. Wow, absolutely loved it. I, I feel like that it could be so true because um, we read um, two of Cornelia Funk, Funk's books for the podcast and hated both mm-hmm. of them. We thought they were so <laughs> shallow in comparison to other children's fantasy novels that we'd read. Mm-hmm. And, I, and they were, um, were originally written in German. So I wonder if it's a translation issue and if there was a different translation, if they would have retained the whimsy mm. beta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will never know because I will never try to read it again. <laughs> All you have to do is learn German. It's easy. Yeah. Don't worry about it. No, well, I can't. I'm you already got Russian. right now. <laughs> Although I've heard that once you acquire one second language, acquiring a third second language is infinitely easier. Yeah, that's that's what I've sure heard and isn't true. <laughs> uh, you gave your criterion moments, so the rest of us give our criterion moments as well. Yeah. Yes. So, um, mine was the final shot of the movie when we all learned that Monkey has telekinetic powers. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That's you you finally get a payoff. Yeah. What do we feel like that means? Like, what's the point of that? I, yeah. I, I don't know what the point of it is, other than, like, I, you know... It's, I don't think you know, there is a point. Yeah, hinting at the idea that, yeah, beyond, like, losing her legs, she also gained something from... Him had taking all those trips into the zone, you know, the zone giveth, the zone taketh away, or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah, but but it gives nothing. She can move three glasses across a table while looking really sad and distracted. Yeah, like I I, I think that's where it's kind of picking up on my interpretation of the book, where it's like big deal, mm. right? Like they even mentioned telekinesis early on in the film of like, wouldn't it be amazing? If, like, this gave us access to something like that, and it does, but it's unnoticed yeah. and irrelevant and provides no, um, uh, you know, no uh, no comfort to this family yeah. who's suffering so and much. And it's really well shot. Yeah. <laughs> that, was the, well, that was the main thing I was focusing on, is visually. Maybe I if she was, was as precocious shot. as Matilda, she could have changed their lives. Maybe. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I, okay, I'll do mine. Um, I yeah, re- please. Do- there was a a beautiful shot that um, right after the professor, he's thrown all the the pieces of the nuclear bomb into the puddle that's just formed from the downpour of rain, and mm-hmm. there's a fish. There's a fish has swum up to that, and I'm like, how did that fish get there? This is a puddle, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then uh, beautiful oil. Uh, of some kind comes across, and I'm like, "Did they just kill that fish?" Yeah, uh, I had so I had a they, lot of. They had a they had a bucket of dead fish. Yeah, that day on set, without a doubt. Yeah, and so like that, some that, animals were harmed in the production of this film. That, that shot just caused a lot of like thought after thought after thought because I, it just kept adding layers. I was like yeah. watching it, yeah, and the way that the kind of I'm not sure if it was the any kind of powder or something 
inside the bomb was dissolving in the water. I, it's I, visually, I just was mesmerized right, yeah. by the whole thing. I, I, I thought the same. Like, is that like cesium, like yeah. leaching out or something? I have no idea, right? Yeah. Or, or is it just like, or, or is that the magic? Because that, because it's been thrown into the the room, the chamber, right? Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. where all the magic happens. Like, is that the magic? Yeah. This like weird pollution, this weird decay. Is that what it is? I, I, I would have liked the magic to be real and it to interpret the desire of the bomb that the bomb wanted to go off. <laughs> because that's its function. Did did you guys uh did you guys like appreciate the idea that like kind of the final scenes in the zone um is the camera is in the room? Like so, so like the audience, right? The other side of the screen were like the wish granters, yeah. right? Yeah. The the uh, the unknowable like meta reality in which these people e- exist. Yeah. Did that blow your mind? The way it <laughs> blew my mind. I don't know. It didn't. Bl- it- <laughs> I did like. I did like when you know. I have no idea which of the three actors. I do know which one is the stalker because he was the one at the beginning and has the weird discolored patch of hair on his head. Sure. But um, the tall one is like approaching. He's the professor. The building yeah. at the beginning, like at the beginning of being in the zone, and then you get a shot of him through the inside of the building and like mm-hmm. like looking. Oh, that's at him. the writer. Um, yeah, it's the writer. And yeah, the professor's the taller one. But it doesn't matter. No, but that's the right. They're all the same. Yeah, <laughs> they do. Look <laughs> yeah, <good>. they are. <laughs> but yeah, that, um, I, I like that. But shot I too. really enjoyed that shot, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Ooh!" I love mystery. that he didn't just walk in though, because yeah, he he didn't believe in all the stuff the stalker was saying, and he walked all that mm-hmm. way, and then he he comes back and he's like, "Who called me back?" And no one did. Yeah. Yeah, but like, I think that's. You know, like, there's a class of people who don't believe in, like, who don't really believe in God, but they're like, yeah, but what if they're right? Like, it's just, it, it <laughs> costs me if? so little to try to believe in God, and then... I had sure. a very similar yeah. conversation like this today. You know? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, if I'm wrong... Yeah, what, what's the risk? You know, right? yeah. But, like, yeah. if yeah. I'm right, I feel like heaven. <laughs> sure. What was, How about you, hey, you're, pl- you're playing with eternity. Yeah. What's your criterion moment, Charlie? Uh, my, mine was pretty similar to that last one. It, it wasn't specifically the fish with like the oil slick, though I think there was a lot going on there. Um, yeah. It was um, one of the many scenes where they're uh, just uh, outside of the magic desire granting room and they're sort of debating and they're all laying on the ground and Classic. they're half in and half out of rivers and you don't know what's going on. And one of them's either talking or having an interior monologue about the nature of like humanity's accomplishment or something like that. And it's all pretty obtuse, but the camera is like slowly moving and looking through all like the garbage that's kind of in the water. And there's all this dirt and sludge and pollution that's taking place. And you see like, um, you see uh, like a little medicine box with uh, stainless steel syringes. Yep. Right. You see, um, you see books, right. Like sort of written text on paper, um, and you see like a small little reproduction of John the Baptist from Jan van Eyck's Gint altarpiece, which I, I think is meant to represent like religion, mm-hmm. right? And like and like martyrdom, I think, right? But also like God, right? Uh, and art, right? So it's like medicine and literature and art and religion are being sort of paraded across while he's talking about like what is what is good that humanity has produced. Right? What comfort can we find in the things that we have done? Mm. And you know, he's ruminating that it's ultimately nothing. And you're seeing all of the all of the trash 
of a of a you know from a Soviet perspective like a decayed capitalist like ancien regime, right? That's just left to rot in some like burnt out hydroelectric plant, yeah, or something like that. And I don't know. I I really liked it because um, I don't know if it wasn't clear from all that Van Gogh nonsense. I really like still lives mm. and when like when like just banal stuff like can kind of can kind of mean things yeah. based on like you know the juxtaposition of other related objects. I, and I thought I, I thought that was the movie kind of wearing its its intention on its sleeve a little bit. Yeah. I really didn't get still life when I was growing up. I took art mm-hmm. in middle school and I, we did a lot of still life stuff and I was like I, I don't get it. And I don't feel like my art teacher really made me understand. Sure. Um but then I remember somebody saying or maybe I read it like it's like finding the beauty in the mundane and I was like, "Oh, I get it now." <laughs> yeah, no one ever That's explained right. that to me either, but yeah, I like that. Uh, no one ever explained it to me. That's why I've spent you know decades of my life studying it. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. I, I think uh, the other the other scene worth noting. Uh, I really liked the moment where they're all just in the, like the outer chamber, like the antechamber of like the room at the end, and they're sitting there, yeah. like, and they're like, kind of like resting and they're exhausted, and then the phone rings. <laughs> yeah. And oh, they yeah. all just kind of look at it like, like why what? is the phone ringing? Yeah. That just, felt like such a like pretentious art like oh, theater oh, yeah. experience where like, you know, the phone that has God on the other end is calling or mm-hmm. something like that. And they're like, no, I really like the, the look clinic. on their faces. I also um I liked the parallel between the light bulb in that scene and then the light bulb mm-hmm. at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well what about um like so, you know, speaking of like, you know, risking it all for your art or something like that. There's sort of a, a legend that seems genuinely true about the production of the film that Ooh. the horrible circumstances that they filmed in, like a, an abandoned hydroelectric plant in Estonia, right, was um, so rich and deep with pollution where they're actually standing in, like, industrial runout like yeah. uh, passages that, like, most of the principal... Uh, like many of the principal actors and uh, the director all died of the same cancer within a few years. Oh wow! Oh my god! And like, and like, there's literally this beautiful shot of like, of like what looks like a snowy field, but it's rippling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. it's 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 kind of like those like sandy dunes where you're like, wow, this is beautiful. What that is is like some weird chemical runoff foam covering a river that they were filming nearby. I thought and, and, that they intentionally did that in After Effects. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was a bog for a minute, Jesus. right? But what it was was this massively polluted river. And and not only is it just, like, absolutely just covered with this, like, heinous sludge, but some of it has particulated. So it's like snow or fuzz is, yeah. like, floating around in the air. And that's what they're breathing. Oh. And that's what supposedly killed Tartofsky, I think his wife, um, wow. many other people involved in the Oh my god. So, so what you're saying is the zone really is toxic. Sure. Those were the bugs. Exactly. Those were yeah. the traps. Because one of the zones in the book causes a plague. Mm-hmm. So Right. Um Yeah, he dark. died in eighty six, so he died what, like five years later? Six years yeah. later. Yeah, that's not Oh my god, that's I, I don't know brutal. how true that necessarily is, but people involved with the production are like, oh no, that, that it was so gross where they were working, it obviously killed everyone. Oh wow, that's crazy. I kind yeah. of dig that. <laughs> well, and also like this movie, like, you know, this was filmed like seven years before Chernobyl. 
but it feels like it was filmed right after Chernobyl. Yeah, a lot of people like talked about yeah. there being a Chernobyl um, like as- like aspect to the book, and it's like it didn't happen. It hadn't happened. Well, and like the and like the people who worked in the Chernobyl like protective zone called themselves stalkers. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It like really entered into like the like the Russian like lexicon as a concept. Yeah. 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 Cool. I. Well. Oh, this is making me want to look up the etymo- like the etymology uh, of um, of the word stalker. Yeah. Mm. It, like, th- there's actually a lot about it that, that that I read, and I can't remember a lot of it. But as I understand it, they're really using like the like the British idea of like hunter. Yeah. Like when you go stalking, it's, you know, when you're like hunting with a rifle or something like that, because they're hunting for these like objects. Yeah. Right. That they're that they're looking to bring back. But um, but apparently it took on in Russia. Right. Um, where the word like stalker is being used, like specifically this idea of this kind of like urban spelunking or like <laughs> urban exploration. Well, yeah. they seem to use the transliteration of the word like. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So that checks out to me. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I don't have anything Amazing. further to add because <laughs> this this conversation is it's it's so in depth and I it's amazing. I yep. But I'm Well well we all kind of collaborated on on selecting this like novel and film, right? And the yes. idea that like ideas were pitched back and forth and this kind of fit into your season. And you're looking for something that was in the criterion so it kind of meshed with us and like I don't know, like I think it's great because we never read the book. Yeah. And watch the movie, right? And what a great opportunity to do with something like this. And also, you got to watch one of the most criterion pieces of filmed nonsense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like <laughs> that. Like that seems to be a little outside of what you're. You're you often deal with more like popular, like right. Ad- we try not right? to do like the most popular. Like we're not going to do anything like Harry Potter or Hunger Games. We are doing Hunger right. Games. We might do Hunger Games because <laughs> because it's, it's really because so I'm the one who picks our season. And like so, uh-huh. when we did our last season, we committed to fifty percent of the books featuring a person of color or a gay person and i loved uh-huh. that it was so great we wanted yeah um so i you know i was hitting all my intersections strong female character a person of color or um someone who is from the lgbtqi plus community and i was like let's carry it on let's try to do at least 50 percent of the books will be written by or starring a woman mm-hmm. and the number of sci-fi films <laughs> that are based on books that have been written by a woman is lacking very lacking mm-hmm. yeah so that's why we yeah, are absolutely. doing it's not even that there aren't a lot of books that are sci-fi in origin that are written by women it's that they just haven't been adapted to films and i spent sure. hours like yeah. peeling through the li- there's a massive compilation of post-apocalyptic and dystopian films like either or um on wikipedia there's one for each genre and i went through mm-hmm. all of them and was like has this been adapted to a film and it includes like everything not just like like it's anything that's been submitted to the world under that genre like it includes music and poetry and stuff and like and i oh i spent ages going through it and i was like i could come up with like six yeah so that's why we're doing <laughs> hunger games um but so, i, but I was like really limited yeah but i'm really mm-hmm. grateful for the crossover episode because you're right like this film is really uh different if from- we had done this without you we would have been like this film is garbage yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, we, I don't know if it would have... A legitimate watched, take. Yeah, we wouldn't have watched it. Because, like, in what, you know, in what universe would we have found this? 
Oh yeah, I was definitely looking for films because I enjoyed our episodes together so much. I was like mm-hmm. looking for films that would be based on books in the Criterion Collection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, and um, I and I love it because I definitely am a firm believer in like you know variety is the spice of life. Um, sure. I thought Melange was the spice of life. Nah, it's it's Dune. It's the spice. Dune is the spice. Dune. spice have, you, have, you, have you read Dune? Absolutely. Like side note, off podcast. Cut. Have you read uh, it? I, I, Charlie has. I have not. I've Ooh. seen the, the Lynch movie several times. How amazing is the Lynch movie? Like how so good. <laughs> it's great. So I good. Just, yeah. The the reverse mohawk. Why did they not become a thing? What what a tragedy <laughs> of fashion Sad. that the mm-hmm. inverted mohawk has not become a statement. <laughs> and also, um, I am destined to dress up as one of them in a shield. From the David. Oh yeah, shield. A giant pixel. Of all yeah. the ways, I thought that would manifest on screen. Yeah, and you could probably get like some sort of Minecraft costume and yes. then cover it in like pink cellophane. <laughs> oh, Minecraft? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Excellent. Well, um, I think we had the one thing we haven't done yet is uh, rate the adaptation, which is something you guys do. Yeah, we probably do, do that. Um. um and so as an adaptation yeah as as, as a film adaptation how do you rate stalker from 1979 two and a half well like a one <laughs> they don't even have the same it names. has the same premise <laughs> yeah Does it have the same premise the zone is very different no it, i mean it's kind of the first story it, it's kind of the fourth in, story. in the book and it's kind of the fourth story fair point and, they, <laughs> yeah, it's, and, it's, and it's, the it's story of the porcupine is kind of rich redrick's story Kind of. Sure. Kind of. So, I give yeah. it a three. <laughs> yeah. Like, the essence is there. Like, it's like, kind of the vultures. Like, the ideas are there, but it's it's so different. Yeah. It's, they're hard yeah, I don't know. Four. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a, it's, it's, it's in many ways, it's a failed adaptation. Are the Stragatskis still alive? I don't know. I don't, I don't think they are. Yeah. Or possibly one of the brothers still is. Yeah. Yeah. One of them is dead. I would like At to know one. what their opinion is. <laughs> yeah, one of them... I, I think they liked it. One of them died in 91. The other one is still alive, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. How old is he? Old. Born in 25, so almost 100. That's impressive. Wow. He did not go no. to the zone. No, no. clearly not. <laughs> um, or maybe he didn't got his wish. Yeah. Oh, no. That's excellent. Oh, thank you. It's been so nice to yeah. discuss yeah. this. What a pleasure! Yeah, um, we 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 need to announce what we're going to do next week. Do you have uh, you guys know what you're doing next week? You could we you do. Announce that yet? Yes. What do you guys do? Well, you don't do you do it every other week. So, what, what's your next podcast going to be? So we have decided because I discovered um, as part of my journey through therapy that I am in control of this podcast and I made <laughs> up all of the rules. <laughs> and thus far, we have decided that we will never adapt. I like do an adaptation that's been turned into a series, like a TV and series. then I watched Made on Netflix, and I'm breaking all the rules. Oh yeah! Ooh, so we're going to we're covering um, Made on Netflix, cool. um, and the memoir that is based on. Yeah, um, wow. and so, so we'll gonna, be covering that for quite a few. Yeah, few. We're going to start that next week. Oh wow! Yeah, Fun. we're going to do at least Long more form. than one. We'll probably do between three and five, um, oh, because cool. that works into my schedule a lot better. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I'm awesome. excited because I don't read as fast as Brianna, and so I get some time to catch up on other books. <laughs> sure. Nice. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's the trick. Yeah. Uh, for us, it's finding time to watch other movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Love it's it. hard. I uh, um, for- we have friends who run a podcast called Cult Popture, and they cover. Yeah, like, they know. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> massive series, and they will. Watch, they did the right. Barbie series. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Like, they, they, like they've, they've been guests on our show films. as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. I don't know that Brianna knows. And well, I we, just uh, like, we, can you imagine sitting through like sixty Barbie? I have no idea how many of them. But like thirty-seven, no. they did. It was thirty-seven Barbie movies. Thirty-seven yeah. Barbie what, films. What is your next episode? Please yeah. tell. Sorry. Well, I, I was going to say that uh, we have uh, we also came up with the own rules for our podcast. Oh yeah. And that is, we leave it up to a random number generator <laughs> and have absolutely no control of what we're doing. And so I checked in with Randy right before we sat down to record, and he picked for us. Criteria number, th- well, also specifically, uh, since next week is Halloween, we're doing a horror film. Nice. Okay. We, have, we have a special list of all the horror films that are in the Criterion Collection, so it, when H- Halloween rolls around, we can pick one of the films off that list Yep. Uh, to do something a little spooky, but we still keep it random. And uh, Randy picked for us Criterion number 338. It is a film called Equinox from 1970. <laughs> So I don't know anything about it, but apparently it's a horror film from 1970. I have a question. I have a question. What's the worst film you've had to watch for the podcast? Uh, uh, Man Bites Dog. Man Bites Dog. Hands I'm going to look that up. Hands down. Do you think Man I mean, like, I would uh, like, like it? A, a masterfully made film, just, without a doubt. Just and so just, unpleasant. Just wretched. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Great, okay. great. Yeah. So fun. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I yeah, really, thank you guys. I really appreciate uh, your time and, um, yeah. And staying up so late. Yeah, and adapting <laughs> to the time <laughs> right. zones. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. All the sacrifices for art. That's <laughs> right. I mean, we're not giving our lives or anything, but we sleep. Sleep. We're giving this up sleep. This will not give you yeah. cancer, probably. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. I'm not definitively saying that on record. <laughs> Uh, well, real quick, I just want to throw in our last-minute blurb that if anyone would like to comment on the viability of suffering for one's art, you can enter into that discussion on social media where we can be found at Random Acts of Sin uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, yes. and all that. You can also email us directly to randomactsofsin at gmail.com. Yeah, and we... Have... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. We also no, 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 you do yours first. Do it. No, no, no. Yeah, we have, yeah, social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And I just, I want to establish, as I always try to, that I started this podcast because I wanted to talk to other people about books. (laughs) (laughs) Not just her spouse. So please talk to me. (laughs) Sorry, in your mic. All right. uh, So as uh, always, we would like to thank Stereo Toto for the use of their awesome song, Cinemania. And thank you all for listening and tuning in. And uh, we'll see you at the streaming movie platform. Love that. Uh, Das Vidania. Das Vidania. Yes, Das Vidania. Anastasia. I should have said Previet at the beginning. I should have said Previet. Menyazavut Brianna Moya family makes end. Speaking of inaccessible, that would have been great. Oh, no. <laughs> yes.